Orwellian is a term that's often misused, but it's definitely an accurate way to describe the latest work by novelist Sandra Newman, because Julia is a retelling of George Orwell's classic dystopia 1984 from the point of view of Julia, the lover of Orwell's protagonist, Winston Smith. 1984 was published in the early Cold War when Joseph Stalin still ruled the Soviet Union and a year before Orwell himself died, aged 46, in 1950. 1984 is a cautionary tale about dictatorship, total surveillance and repression and the manufacture of truth, set of course in a Britain taken over by Big Brother. And it's depicted very much from one perspective, a perspective evoked by Orwell's alternative title for the novel, which was The Last Man in Europe. Now, the central female character created by Orwell has been brought to life more fully in Sandra Newman's Julia. Sandra, congratulations and welcome to Sunday Extra. Oh, thank you, Julian. It's great to be here. What are your memories of reading 1984 for the first time? That's a very funny question because I actually have no memory of reading it for the first time. Like as far as I know, I was born already having read. <laughs> I think we all feel a little bit like that somehow. Yeah, yeah. But I, I do remember reading it the second time. And I know it was the second time because as I was reading it, I was very shocked by the treatment of the Julia character and very shocked that I hadn't noticed it when I first read it. Mm. And it is it is like objectively shocking, I think, if you if you read it as an adult now there are two different moments when winston contemplates murdering julia and on one of those occasions he thinks about raping and then killing her by bashing in her head with a cobblestone so it's it's really it's not subtle there's a form of misogyny in the book that's really pretty extreme and hard to read what impression of julia as a character did you get from orwell's telling of it on that second reading or perhaps in subsequent readings as well? I think she's she's interesting because she feels very alive in every single scene. She feels very real. She's like a person you might have met once and been kind of fascinated by. But the different things that she does don't quite go together. Like at first, she's extremely brash and she's calling all the shots in their relationship and telling him what to do. She's the one who's able to trade on the black market. She's had previous affairs. She says she's had scores of previous affairs. Um, but then later on, you know, we never really understand why she's so focused on Winston in the mm. first place. Because he's a good deal older than her and he's described as puny and sickly and, you know, actually infested with sores with varicose veins and false teeth, you know, like everything that Orwell Not what you put on your profile for dating. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. So Orwell kind of won't give us a bone in that respect. He won't let us know why she's so attracted to him. But she becomes so focused on him so quickly that she's willing to die for him. And she's going along with his wanting to join the Brotherhood not for her own political conviction. She's completely apolitical and, and Orwell really insists on that. She has no interest in politics, but just for Winston. And it's really never explained and it doesn't quite make sense with her previous character. So for a reader of the book, this can be a bit of a stumbling block. And I've met a lot of people since writing this book, you know, of course people come to me to tell me this, who found it a problem. There are various things about her, partly that her attraction to Winston is incomprehensible. And it feels a little bit dodgy nowadays to have a 20, I think she's 26 year old woman, so fascinated by a man who's so much older and is not presented as attractive in any way. It feels 
like bluntly, it feels like male fantasy. And then at various points, she expresses misogyny. Like she encourages Winston to murder his wife. She says she hates women in so many words. So there are a lot of things about her character that are hard to read as a woman. But if you start to write a book from her point of view and think about what she was thinking when she said those things or when she did those things, it becomes a whole different story. Like you, you actually begin to see her as a person who does add up, who does make sense, who makes these decisions and isn't a terrible person, but also isn't the, you know, wish fulfillment fantasy that she is in 1984. Sandra, without putting too fine a point on it, I think it is fair to say that this book really was not your idea, not only because George Orwell wrote 1984, but actually it was the Orwell estate that approached you to create uh, this version from Julia's perspective. Could you tell us about uh, how that came about and what your thought process was with actually deciding to take on the project? Okay, so the Orwell estate has been approached over the years many times by people who wanted to write this book. And for various reasons, which I'm not privy to, I don't know who those people were who approached them. I don't know what it was that they found fault with. But for various reasons, they've always said no. And I think the Orwell estate is very protective of Orwell's legacy and his work and the meaning of his work. So for somebody to write this book, there's a lot of potential for people to use it to push their own political agenda or to cheapen Orwell's work. It, it can be a kind of an easy money grab frankly, to write this book. So they were looking forward to a near future when 1984 was coming out of copyright in the UK. And they thought, well, this is the last moment when we could control this. Perhaps we could find somebody to write this, whom we would trust. And I guess um, I, I was their second choice. And <laughs> I don't know who their first choice was. So so I can't say who, who it was who was better than me and more trustworthy than me. But <laughs> I was still trustworthy enough and good enough to be asked, for which I'm very grateful and I'm very flattered. You'd obviously had the impetus about Julia from your second reading. When you received the approach, was it an instant, oh, yes, I've got to do this? Or did you have concerns about how you could take on that creative project and, and deal with the, the, the challenges that you'd sort of intuitively realised from reading? Well, you know... I do write literary science fiction and it's sort of like high concept literary science fiction. So I did think I could do it, but there was also a sense in which, I mean, I'm not exactly an Orwell fanatic, but I'm a recovering Orwell fanatic. I'm somebody who was an Orwell fanatic when I was young. And so I'm very much formed by Orwell's political vision. So when, when I got, if I, I was an immediate, yes, yes. I was sort of like, I will do this if it kills me. <laughs> And only after saying, yes, yes, I will do this if it kills me, did I go away and think, but wait, I could do this and the book is terrible. <laughs> That's, and then what? So so I did go away and, and read 1984 again, but happily as I started reading it, it was obvious to me what this book would be. It was obvious to me how Julia could be a real person, how you could write a book that was about her. And also, there are so many things in 1984 that you want to know more about. You want to know more about the junior anti-sex league that she belongs to that is trying to propagate chastity throughout the realm. You know, you want to know more about her, her trading on the black market. Winston never asks her about that. How is she trading on the black market? What is that like? How does she get away with it? Who is she trading with? Um, her previous affairs, we never learn anything about them. She used to have a job writing 
pornography for the proles, like a government job writing pornography. And we never get to see any of the pornography in 1984. (laughs) And we want to know these things like, like Orwell thinks way too highly of us. We want to know all the dirty details <laughs> too. So, so I was I was able to do all that. I was able to put all that in my book, and it it made for a really kind of rollicking ride. It's kind of um, it was a real joy to write, and I hope it's a real joy to read because it was really fun for it, me. It, it absolutely is, and one of the great pleasures, if that's the word of Julia, is the way you build out and explore how the regime of Big Brother plays out specifically for women, something you just don't get a sense of from uh, Orwell's novel. Uh, We don't want to spoil too much of that pleasure for listeners right now, but I wonder if you could chart out a little bit for us of the world of Big Brother for Women that you've conjured. Yeah, it's funny. From the very beginning, before the book was written, it was announced, and it was always called a feminist retelling of 1984. And I would think, is it is it feminist? You know, what's what does that mean? What does it mean that it's feminist? But when people describe the book, I'm like, wow, that's actually incredibly feminist. <laughs> so, so for one thing, I mean, there is her relationship with Winston Smith, which, as described in 1984, makes her a bit of what is called a manic pixie dream girl who just exists in order to teach a man how to live and to be available for his every need and basically to be a kind of a sidekick who has no desires of her own. So just by giving her desires of her own within the context of that story that's so familiar in which she does play that role is already a feminist move. But then also there are things like the artificial insemination that the party is trying to make everyone take part in, which is in 1984, the art sum. to have that from the point of view of the person who actually has to be artificially inseminated and then carry a baby for the party that then will be taken away by the party and raised. And to think of that as how all children will be produced and women knowing that it becomes immediately feminist in a way that Orwell didn't really envisage. He talks about it, but to him, it's it's an assault on the family and it's an assault on relationships, which it certainly is. But he never really thinks of it as an assault on the actual women who will mm. carry those babies. Gender is obviously the defining point of difference for the novel, but you also explore other bedrocks of different experience and perspective, like in particular age, uh, city-country divide, and unsurprisingly, you're also more race-conscious than a 1940s Englishman. Could you tell us a little bit about that? One of the few things that Orwell was really wrong about is that he thought that a totalitarian government could and maybe would be race blind. Mm, and this yeah, history's rather against him on that, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, he was he was very focused on Stalinism, but he did believe some of Stalin's lies, which I think at the time was inevitable because there just wasn't enough information coming out of the Soviet Union. And the Soviet Union at that time was still presenting itself very much as internationalist and anti-racist. And, you know, all nationalities were alike. And it was not clear yet that that was just a lie that that was never happening, that it was really very much an ethno state from the beginning. So I think that's actually one thing that's a little different in my book. I couldn't really do that. I didn't feel that it was ethical to do that. So I just pretended that Orwell had known that too and went with a reality in which people who are not white, who are not English, actually have to jump through extra hoops in order to be safe. So there's that. And and also 
Orwell never really acknowledges that gay people exist. So that, again, was something that I wanted to have in my book. I wanted that to be part of the world and to think about how gay people would live in this world. This is a bit of a spoiler, but, you know, one of the things that was immediately obvious to me that if there's a junior anti-sex league where people are overtly chased, it's going to fill up with gay people immediately who will then have an excuse for why they're not married and having children for the party. So it wouldn't be the first time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. It wouldn't be the first time. And then that would make it a different kind of society, which was already a little sort of loose. And, you know, there's this kind of undercurrent all the time of the people who are there because they actually believe in it and the people who are there who all can recognize each other for a different reason. You've hinted a little bit at this earlier, but obviously the the great opportunity of Julia is to uh, fill in the blank spaces that Orwell left. But obviously there's that constraint also of what's already locked in about what Julia says and does. What about the Julia you inherited from Orwell was the hardest to square with the Julia you wanted to create? Huh, what was hardest? Um, you know, I think... It was really just like a puzzle. I had to find a solution to everything that didn't work mm. for me. So anything that she said, um, there's a scene where Winston is talking about how he once wanted to push his wife off a cliff, for instance. And Julia says, why didn't you give her a good shove? I would have. And I had to deal with that as a thing that my character, whom I wanted people to like, would say to her boyfriend. So, so a lot of it, it had to do with having to sort of massage these scenes so that you could have her feel something that Winston was completely oblivious to. So there are a lot of ways you can say something like that and a lot of reasons you can say it. You can say it and expect someone to take it as a joke, which is where I went with it, and then be a little bit disturbed when they don't take it as a joke. But there were, there were a lot of little things like that where she says something to Winston in particular, the, the parts where I had to use her dialogue because they're scenes that have to be in my book. And that's, that's one of the things about my book, which probably is the oddest, is that there are scenes, entire scenes where all of the dialogue is Orwell's because they're scenes between Julia and Winston and they have to be in the book. And so all of the dialogue is the same, but the meaning of the scene is different. The plot around it is a little different. And, and those were in a sense, really easy to write because they were already written for me. But to, to make them work was a little a little bit tricky to land that plane. Yeah. Uh, well, you do it with great aplomb. And obviously, uh, I get the sense that the, the book is being well received now, though, although it was when it was announced, you mentioned the sort of the idea of the feminist retelling. There's sort of been a preemptive backlash to the concept of the book. I wondered, has that sort of continued once the book's out or was it a, a, an easier space to fill when it was a blank page? It did come back to some degree. And I find it really interesting that the backlash is from the far right, which we know because of the things that they assume about what a feminist retelling will be. <laughs> they assume that a feminist retelling is pro Big Brother, for one thing, <laughs> and call it Orwellian. And they also assume that the plan is to replace 1984 with my book so that 1984 will be somehow expunged from culture and my book will take its place and my book will propagate some woke message that will tell people that men are bad. So that was basically, you know, obviously from people who haven't read the book. 
I must say, I, m- I missed that from my reading of the book, frankly. But <laughs> <laughs> There is one person, only one person who is against the book in this vein has written a review of it, which is in something called the Bitcoin Bugle. And she really seemed to see in the book an attack on Bitcoin, which is really fanciful. But <laughs> I don't think that's in the book. But <laughs> well, I suppose that's another aspect of it as well, because you are locked in to a futuristic world of technology, which is now very old fashioned, really, mm. in some ways. How did you deal with that? I just had to roll with it. You know, I, w- I wasn't going to change the world. It's, it's funny reading 1984 because of that, too, because the technology is so antiquated and yet it has these magical properties of being able to see you everywhere. We've mentioned the context of uh, Stalin's Soviet Union. That was obviously critical to Orwell's mission in 1984. Were there particular aspects of contemporary politics that loomed over you when you were writing Julia, or were you sort of focused back on the sort of Stalinist world and that sort of totalitarian model? I mostly focused consciously on Stalinism and, and other totalitarianisms of Orwell's time end of the 20th century more generally. So I read a lot about Stalinism and about the rise of the Third Reich. That was the the way that I relaxed after writing in the 1984 world all day was by reading about Stalin all night. Um, But then if I looked at the news, it actually is very bad for your mental health to read a lot about Stalinism and Nazism in this time because you feel the resonances too strongly and you can become really a little bit crazy and trying to find a place to hide from contemporary politics. And it's, you know, I'm not sure where in the world you would go to hide from it. And I'm not sure what anyone can do about it. But at the same time, it was probably good for my mental health to be writing this book, because if a writer can do anything at this moment, it would be to write a book that is designed to warn people about totalitarianism. You've obviously taken Julia further back before Winston and beyond Winston. Uh, Do you feel like you've reached the end of your creative relationship with Julia, Sandra? Um, I do have a guilty wish that someone would make it into a TV show, in which case this would be the first season and then there could be a second season. (laughs) (laughs) It could just go on. Because I I do think uh, she's really fun and interesting. She's just sort of a plucky survivor who cares about other people, you know, very much a TV heroine in a way, although a bit more amoral than most. <laughs> well, watch this space by the sounds of things. Sandra, it's been fantastic discussing Julia with you. Thanks so much for joining us on Sunday Extra. Thank you, Julian. Sandra Newman is the author of Julia, the retelling of George Orwell's 1984 from the point of view of Julia. Find more great ABC RN stories that take you beyond the headlines on the ABC Listen app.